One of my favourite sayings is, learning is a change in behaviour due to an experience. Hi, you're listening to the Launchcast with Simeon, where we help you define your inner champion. On today's episode, you'll hear from Patrick Hunt. Patrick is the president of the World Association of Basketball Coaches and the FIBA Technical Commission Chair. Listen for Patrick's insights on constructive feedback and developing others as a coach of coaches. So Patrick, let's help the listeners get to know you really fast. Mm-hmm. Fill in the blank for me. If I really knew you, I would know that... I have a background in singing as a youngster. I was a, uh, a boy soprano and won a couple of national Stedfords um, in Australia. And uh, I didn't know how. They just said, would you like to go into these song contests? And I said, oh, yeah, that's what I thought they were. And um, so I ended up uh, winning them. And um, then uh, my teachers wanted me to become a, a trained to be a tenor, as your voice lowers, as it does. But I had developed an interest in sport, uh, so I had too much sport to do. So I chose to continue to play sport and be interested in that. So, Patrick, you are one of the foremost leaders when it comes to the world of basketball coaches. In fact, you are the president of the World Association of Basketball Coaches. What do you do? Tell us a little bit more about your role. Well, our our purpose is to raise the standard of basketball by raising those who teach the game, raising their standards. And their coaches, mostly volunteers around the world. So um, we're trying to find experiences from which they can develop and learn and we can help them become better but also make them a little more curious about becoming better. So we run a a series of global coaches clinics around the world and in the last four years we've formalised some coaching courses into level one, level two and level three uh, which are the formal parts of that, underpin that with vision, put it on an electronic platform and the next stage is to develop now instructors who can be around the world, who can deliver these courses. So the volunteer coaches can have vision, they can attend coaching clinics, they can have the theory, but then also have help with the practice of implementing the theory. And I know your counsel is so widely sought. In fact, how we came to know each other is through Coach Mike Krzyzewski, Coach K, because you've been a dear friend of his and he seeks your counsel and you his <laughs> on on coaching and how to make your teams better. Yes, well I started visiting way back in 1986 where a lot of your listeners may not have been born then. But, but <laughs> um, And my development as a coach has been through the generosity of others um, mm. and in Australia our basketball developed through the generosity of coaches from the former Yugoslavia and particularly USA Um, they had us visit but also they visited Australia with their teams but would often run coaching clinics when they were in Australia. So how young is the Australian program? The Institute of Sport was set up in 1981 and then we started to formalize our coaching resources in 1985, so it's relatively young. Well, And the Institute of Sport, for the listeners who may not know about it, is to help Australia be the best in the world in sports yes, for the right. Olympics? Yes, with the Olympics. And our aim in basketball is to be the number one basketball country in the world. <laughs> and we have, 
that stumbling block called USA. <laughs> you know, hey, but but uh, but that's the aim. And so um, I established the basketball program there in '81, uh, and um, and it's produced. I think there's 14 or 15. NBA players and 24 or 5 WNBA players so far, but, all the, but most of the, all the players who are in our Olympic teams have come through that program. So let's go back to this idea of generosity. You had talked about how the Australian program was established a lot through the generosity of coaches from other countries. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about your individual experiences and how you came to be a coach and the generosity aspect of that. Well, we all play sport, of course. <coughs> Excuse me. And uh, I was playing, and at the age of 17, there were a group of young players that didn't have a coach, and so they asked me to coach them. And there were actually three teams, so I was playing and coaching three teams, which you can, can do in our club system in Australia. Um, and that's how I fell into coaching. And, um, and then was um, appointed to be a head coach of our state team programs which play together as an all-star team representing each state and territory in national championships and uh, we won a couple of those at a younger age group then at the higher age group at under 20 level 19 year olds we won national championships there so then I was appointed as an assistant coach to our national team uh, junior team and then head coach of a national junior team, then assistant coach to our Olympic teams. Okay, you make it all sound so easy, like it's one smooth ride, but I know it isn't. Do you have a, was there ever a point in your career or story where you faced what to anyone else would seem like a failure, and then you overcame that, and that's actually critical to your success? Well, it's funny in the, you say that because <clears throat> we all think we're ready sometimes before we really are. And I was an applicant for uh, the head coach of the national junior team leading to the world championships in 1983. And in 1981, I applied after being an assistant coach to the previous campaign, but wasn't appointed head coach. And I thought, oh, this means I'm, I'm, that's it for me. I'm, I'm, I'm done. I'm done. <laughs> and, um, but it was interesting because the, the difficult conversations that, that often people have, it was it was a good one for me in that the people that had made the appointment asked to meet with me. And they said, look, we haven't appointed you as head coach this time because we think you're on the way, but not quite ready right now, where I thought I was. And so it was it was a difference of, of their experience knowing that the other person they appointed was probably ready right now, but that might be the last time. So it was like a bit of succession planning or progression planning. So after, that was about six weeks after the appointment, they they asked to meet. And so in essence, they appointed me to be his assistant again as part of the process. And then when the World Championships finished in, um, in 83, then I was appointed head coach for the next two campaigns. Wow. Um, but at the time, I thought, oh, well, I'm done now. I've, I haven't been appointed to it. But um, I thought that was a really um, a difficult conversation that was, again, generous on their part in keeping my aspirations in context about, uh, about the future. You know, um, we talk about 
difficult conversations, we talk about the critical role of feedback. So let's assume for a moment that um, you didn't get the job and they didn't reach out and to give you that feedback. How would you, for our listeners who are in that position, because sometimes we are not taught how to give feedback mm. or even the importance of giving feedback. Mm. You know, we think what's in our heads is so obvious yeah. to the other person. They probably never even imagined that you would think that you're done when they saw yeah. so much potential in you. Mm. So if they didn't, you know, give you that feedback, how, what, how will you counsel now with your wisdom looking back, back mm. our listeners to be able to seek out that feedback? I think the important thing is to avoid using the word but mm. in terms of this. You're very good at doing this, but. Mm. Because then it conjures up uh, that awkwardness. When, for example, when we select Olympic teams and we have to tell players they haven't been selected in the Olympic team, after we've told them the news they haven't been selected, which we do early, they really don't hear another word that's said after the conversation. So what we say to them is, look, we're now available uh, 24-7 for the next um, year or so to help you. But for the next 24, 48 hours, we're available and let's talk again tomorrow mm. uh, and come back and then, and then we can talk through about... Because with Olympic selections, it can affect contracts, it can affect families, a whole range of things. It's a very difficult time. And the emotions are running high, high. because that's what they're preparing for for so many years. Exactly. For four years, this has been their dream. So it's a, it's a very difficult one. In terms of how do we give feedback, we use, or I use, a little thing called um, the process of optimism first. So what have you done really well? Mm. And how could we do that better? And so how could we do that better handles the improvement and growth areas that we call rather than the old terms were positives, negatives, or um, you were good at this, but you need to be better at that. Um, there's the word but, but <laughs> you need to be better at that. Yes. So when you're giving people feedback, you have to be absolutely honest with them. There's nothing worse than... than um, shallow feedback that are, that's given in a, in a way that doesn't let people know where they stand but also creates false hope um, because that can be very damaging to people. So focusing on what people do really well and what could be even better is a good way of, of getting both those things out. Saying so here are some growth areas that, that we think you'd be even better at doing than what you're doing now. Um, and that way, it's, it's, it's really good. And the other thing we, that I do is say, how have I provided you with the opportunity to become better this year? And what have we agreed upon to do that? And then how did we go with that? How did we operate together so that you could become better at doing your particular job? And then by exploring that journey, we might find some areas where I wasn't able to provide them with opportunities or they didn't recognise them or weren't able to take them up. Now, there comes a point, of course, if somebody is not very good and, and hasn't done well, then that conversation can, um, through a bit of deductive reasoning, 
draw out those areas. And then what leads to that discussion is, well, how then again can we make you better? How can we equip you better to handle this task? And that might be too much for them. It, it might be, they might say, oh, look, I don't know whether I can, I can do that. Mm. Well, then we might say, okay, well, let's see in six months how we're progressing. And then a decision might be made not to continue with them. Or they might decide not to continue themselves. That's the difficult part. But the more positive part is you're giving them a chance to grow and to become better. And I think that's something that champions know how to do because they, every champion works in the context of a team, mm. right? Even if it's an individual sport, there's still a team there. Yes. And uh, it's a support team, a support cast, or even like a, a team of a community mm. around them. And being able to enter into this dynamic of how to give effective feedback mm-hmm. uh, by focusing on strengths and then how they can be enhance those strengths mm-hmm. and opening up the communications as well as to how to receive the feedback mm-hmm. in such a way. That it's communications. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's so important. And I think the important thing is clarity is an absolute jewel in all this. So at the end of <clears throat> those conversations, we have a bit of a reflective discussion and I would say, so what, what do you, what's your sense of this now? And let them give you their sense of their understanding, excuse me, of the way forward, the next steps. And I would say, well, from our discussion, I think here's where we go next. So it's quite clear on what expectations are on both sides. And also have little, what I call, check-in points. How do we check in to see how we're both progressing in this? Because often the annual performance appraisal can only happen once a year. Well, if you're coaching a team, you can't just at the end of the year say, we we won, we lost. On the way through, you have check-in points to see how people are travelling, how they're going, how's the journey going. So at the end of those feedback conversations, it's important for both parties to be clear. Secondly, um, have the check-in points about how you're evaluating and then leave on that sense of, well, we're in this together. Huh. So even if the, you know, people are not often taught how to give feedback, effective feedback, you know, the type of effective feedback that you're talking about that's focused on behaviors and that's inspiring rather than demoralizing. Mm-hmm. For the feedback receiver, so much of this is also, they have a sense of agency in this, is also what I'm hearing. So even if the other person doesn't offer a check-in point, they can actually say, hey, can we have a check-in point for this? Or what can I be doing better? Mm -hmm. Um, How can I, and actually ask the other person for help Mm. as well. So. Yeah, it's good. It's good both ways. It's good both ways. Um, Because I think a lot of the listeners are more in a position. They they have to give feedback, you know, as they progress up the line Mm -hmm. um, of their careers. But also, as they progress up in their careers, they also have to learn how to ask for feedback. Yes. You know, in a way that's effective. Genuine feedback. Yes. And doing this creates a sense of trust where people will be more prepared to tell you exactly what they think if it's in a positive interest, uh, in their own interests. And when I've been involved in these processes, I learned lots through this process myself. Because I'm thinking, oh, here's a perspective I hadn't heard before. Because then, in, 
asking the reciprocal question about, well, have I been able to provide you with opportunities? Well, how have you been able to take up those opportunities? And how did you see that? So then it's, a, again, that's another little check-in point for me. Was I really clear? Did we provide support? Um, and what happened along the way? What was a critical moment along the way, if it hadn't gone well, that I failed to recognise, where we could have acted earlier to give this person a better opportunity? And what I love about what you just shared is it demonstrates you continually have this curiosity, this learning mindset. You came in not only to say, well, here's what I'm sharing and the wisdom, but also with this open mind to what can you also be learning? What can you, as the feedback giver, also be doing to improve yourself? You know, and so how how should, how do champions, the ones that, I mean, you've coached champions, you are a champion, um, as they continuously launch in their careers, what is that role of curiosity and learning? How, how critical is that? Well, I think it's essential. It's ongoing. It never stops. And it's a cliche, you know, you never stop learning. But um, you can actually live that. I enjoy watching people interact together. And nowadays, I'm, I'm often asked to go and attend. I've worked with our Olympic sports in Australia for the past 10 years with Olympic coaches. And so inevitably they'd ask me to come and watch practice and, and training. So I'd go about 45 minutes to an hour and just look at the environment before practice began and see the interactions between the athletes, the coaches, coaches and athletes, the support staff, and what was the feel amongst the group, the dynamic of effective engagement between. So my and this, is, this is the coaches of across all different sports, not just basketball. Yes. Is that correct? Yes, that's right. So you're coaching the coaches. Yes. Wow. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, finding a way to help them become a bit better. But um, So in doing that, it goes back to my um, interest in music. Um, I have a fascination about symphony orchestras, about how all the moving parts in a symphony orchestra can come together and produce such a fantastic sound. And the conductor arranges all that and, and how they do that. And so I also um, wanted to see within the moving parts of sports, how does that happen? <coughs> what, how does that work? What does that look like? <coughs> Excuse me. So I, um, um, that was an interest for me. So in watching how those moving parts come together, then I can engage more meaningfully in saying, well, did you notice this happened before practice and before training and and was that planned or did it just happen or um, because then in, for people to engage is is fantastic but what are the methods what are the different methods of doing that what are the different ways people engage um, so that curiosity for me continues I love what I'm a fantastic people watcher um, in airports or wherever just to see how they mix and move around but also the curiosity about how do we get people to understand and embrace their particular roles and in team sports in particular, be independent for their performance but interdependent with other team members for our performance and how do we go? And so I'm always curious to find out how that works and how the genuine relationships form and people are able to have very meaningful discussions upon which they can grow and learn and and find solutions to perceived problems. And it's all in the context of interaction with others. I mean, mm. well, one of the 
concepts with the launch book is this idea of a launch tribe. We don't launch. It's a myth that we launch alone. Mm. We should always launch yes. with a tribe. And there's others who want to invest in our success, and we should ask for help, and we should provide help to well, others. The generosity of, of coaches in USA and around, uh, I've, I've always felt an obligation that if coaches asked for help along the way, that I was obliged to do that. I enjoy doing that anyhow, um, but I think if we can leave that legacy of sharing mm. uh, with others, then that's a, a, a tremendously um, powerful way that we can ensure that people grow and learn. I mean, there, there's the old saying, it takes a village to raise a child. Yes. <laughs> and, and I think in the coaching fraternity, um, the fraternity itself uh, has that obligation to continue the generations of coaches that will come after us yes and and continue to do that i think that uh, that sharing is is uh, as well as obligatory it's a very enjoyable thing to do yes because i've had so many people that have been so generous with their time in uh, in helping me over many many years and continue to do so that's why i'm visiting duke <laughs> and catch up with coach uh, annually for oh, a week and by the way for the listeners when patrick's talking about fraternity he's uh, including both genders <laughs> yes. in that, because yes. I know you uh, in across all the different sports, both men and women's sports. Yes, and in Australia, actually, we've it's nearly um, we have parallel programs for all our Olympic sports. Yes, uh, men and women, and I think one of our great challenges is to empower more females uh, into coaching, um, and we're on the way. I think and we have some good ones. So let's talk about what qualities do you look for. In people that you recruit to your team, or what qualities do you look for? Since you're in the business of, you know, recruiting great coaches, and and making uh, coach great coaches be even better, what quali- what qualities do you look for in great coaches? People often ask me this question: What do you think it's what's needed to be a great coach? And I often say, well, ask them: Do you enjoy being around people? <laughs> it sounds pretty clear, but that's why I go in and watch. Uh, before the practice sessions just to see who really enjoys being with other people and and, and taking into account there are introverts and extroverts and people express themselves differently but who enjoys the company of other people and enjoys coming along so do you enjoy being around people and introverts can enjoy being around people you know it's a it's we're not talking about excluding introverts here (laughs) not at all all. Um, and then do you enjoy engaging in your own particular way with people? You can be around, but how do you mm. really get together and, and, and make make sense of, of what you're about to, to try and do, particularly in the, in the international competitive environment of the Olympics? Um, and then these aren't in any, any particular order, but then do you enjoy um, teaching and seeing others develop? Mm. Do you really get a sense of joy... Uh, out of seeing others progress and improve and grow and at the end of the day become very, very good people. Um, we have lots of, um, I call them kids now, even though they're adults and right. children, <laughs> who've come through our programs who haven't made Olympic teams and what have you, but they're wonderful people and have great families um, and that's been a product of their involvement in, in sport and as coaches. If you get a sense of that, that you're a contributor, General Marty Dempsey has a great saying, you need to be more of a producer, not just a consumer. Yes. And so there's that sense 
when when we're recruiting. And then the other the other thing is, do you enjoy trying to guide people who may seem to be different and head them in a common direction? Ah, so um, really um, leveraging their differences yes. in, and bringing it into unity. Yeah, and I think that's and, and enjoy that challenge and and see it as a as a challenge rather than a problem, and then see the outcomes as combined solutions. So that's a pretty good a pretty good um, trait that we look for in uh, in coaches. Um, you know, I could almost substitute the word leader for coach, and all those things would still hold true. Yes, because a coach is a leader, a leader of teams. Yes. When you're, you can you'll either be a a coach of a team when you're an assistant coach. When you're the head coach, you'll be leading your assistant coaches, your sports science, your sports medicine staff, your media staff, what have you. So you're leading a team of teams, as it were. Then when you become a national coach, you're a national system leader. And then if you are involved internationally, as I am, you're a global systems leader. Um, and so those attributes uh, are common to all those, all those areas. It's amazing uh, because I think one of the things that can help, help uh, so many of us launch more ably in our careers and continue to rise up the career ladder is taking on this mantle of being a coach. All the time, a coach, a mentor mm. for others, you know, and continuing that spirit of generosity and taking joy in producing and developing others uh, along the way. It's a wonderful thing, uh, and and the term coach is 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 that in its broader sense, um, where you really are guiding people, assisting people to become better, and in turn who will develop and assist others. Yes, and that way they'll make fantastic contributions to society yes. in whatever way their vocation calls them. So what advice would you give your 20-year-old self, Patrick? Be curious, be patient, and find out the reason behind why people do things rather than what they do. Find out how they do it, because that's the, that's the stimulus that creates continuous curiosity. It's, uh, it's how people do things rather than what they've done. Thank you so much for being on our show. Pleasure. As you think about today's episode, here are some things to consider. Patrick shared his lessons from coaching and sports, which apply to other areas of leadership. Can you think of leadership positions you've held in which you've had to give genuine feedback to others? How can you improve in this skill given the things that Patrick has shared from this time as a coach That's it for today's episode. Special thanks to Tanya Reardon, Richard Vargo, and Angela Moon for producing this episode, Teju Ajasa for the technical support, and Lucas Tischler for the music. See you again soon.